I'm Jen Horn, and you're listening to Mooney on This, the show where we talk about the challenges and possibilities in creating a more mindful and livable world. This episode is brought to you by Crafting Futures, a British Council global program that envisions a sustainable future through craft, collaboration, and educational opportunities. It is also supported by the Design Center of the Philippines, the country's national agency for design. The British Council builds connections between the UK and other countries through arts, culture, and education. Find out more about how they shape the future of crafts and design at britishcouncil.ph and designcenter.ph. So a couple of months ago, we also had another podcast episode in partnership with British Council and Design Center of the Philippines. That podcast episode was entitled Crafting Futures Post-COVID, and we featured some of the keynote speakers from the Making Futures Conference hosted by the British Council and Plymouth College of Arts in Cebu City last March. On that episode, we had Cameron Tonkinwise from Australia, it's important to kind of always remember the way in which craft is never only a material practice. It has socio-cultural embeddedness. And those are long-standing traditions about how people interact around the craft. And Amne Sheikh Faruqi from Pakistan. If we can all begin to think about what that means for small makers, it might actually mean, if we truly revert to this model, that they have a bigger space in the market, that people are more interested in buying these things because they're made in ethical or safer ways. For that, I also had a special co-host, Kar Abola, who also attended the conference and was part of the Muni team that conducted research on the state of handloom weaving in the Philippines. So that was research that was also commissioned for the Crafting Futures project by the British Council. And I'm happy to welcome her back to the podcast. Hey, Kar! Hey, Jen. So happy to be back. And this time, joining Carr in hosting this episode will be one of her fellow researchers for Crafting Futures, Kylie Misa. Kylie is also the co-founder of Woven, that's W-V-N. It's a woman-owned enterprise that works with weavers in Bangar, Ilocos to co-create handmade products for the home and the beach. I've also seen Kylie's journey from joining our Muni meetups way back in 2015 to eventually starting and sustaining her own enterprise and for looking out for their weaving partners along the way. And so I'd like to also welcome Car's co-host for this episode, Kylie. Hey Jen, thanks for having me. So in this episode, Car and Kylie will be chatting with Debbie Palau. She's the co-founder of Holy Cow, short for Holistic Coalition of the Willing, a collective of furniture, home, and lifestyle brands that share values of sustainability, fairness, and transparency. And with Debbie will be Celie Martinez-Miranda. She's the Chief Operating Officer of Ananas Anam Philippines, and they're the company behind Pinatex, a plant-based leather made with pineapple fiber. So yeah, everyone in this episode was also present at the Making Futures conference in Cebu last March. But before we dive into the conversation with Celia and Debbie, I wanted to turn the floor over to Car and Kylie to talk about some of their highlights to understand the state of handloom weaving in the Philippines. So I'll let them take it away, uh, starting with Car. So the way that we approached the research had a lot to do with our own backgrounds. So aside from Kylie and myself, our team was also made up of Rach Carlos, Den Subido, and Dr. Lilibeth Arsena. They're primarily economists, and it was really vital to get a solid foundation on that end. 
that's really one of the biggest, most important considerations when dealing with cultural goods, especially on a national scale. But we also realized that we needed to get a more holistic view of everything. I think what is interesting for me to see was I was the only one in the team with no previous background in research. But I wanted to join because I wanted to add value to the team by giving more context into weaving. I've been working with weavers for around four years now since starting Woven Home Textiles. And yeah, I've just loved meeting weavers. I loved seeing what they could do, discovering, you know, our culture and traditions and joining groups and organizations like Habi, which supports weavers, just really helped me immerse myself in it. So when Jen shared with me the British Council's call for proposals, I was very compelled to join. How about you, Car? What's your story? For me, it was more about understanding the individual Filipino artisan. So I've been in the design industry for about seven years now, currently at Sears Studio. And what I've observed is that there are so many nuanced, taken for granted, but powerful ways that design improves lives. So now I'm taking my MA Psych at UP Diliman where my research revolves around how design, culture, and craft can help Filipinos achieve well-being. So when preparing for this project, I thought it was really important to prioritize the well-being of weavers. I thought it was imperative to ask them directly why they do what they do, why they persist, especially in the wake of so much inequality. Yeah, Carr did a good job further developing the research by adding a psychological facet to it. And in the end, our different backgrounds helped us come up with our analysis of the weaving industry using different lenses, the psychological, economic, and cultural dimensions. So we traveled to meet weaving communities in Ilocos Norte, in Cebu, and South Cotabato, as well as also meeting other people from the respective local scenes. So that's in government, NGOs, social enterprises, and the academe. It was really enriching to see and experience all these cultures in the flesh and to really find out what we can do to support them better. Actually, in the Making Futures conference, what really intrigued both Car and I was hearing similarities between our findings in the research and the presentations of the different participants from around the world. One theme that was frequently mentioned was the relationship between craft and industry pointing to how commercializing and industrializing craft can impinge on the way of life and the culture of the artisans. In fact, Omne, whom Mooney featured in a previous episode, mentioned in her presentation that we needed more ethical enterprises to address the over-commercialization of craft. And interestingly, in our research, we found that many successful local projects with weavers came from responsible collaborations. And what we learned from them was that we really can't look at it solely from a business point of view. It's really important that we also respect the cultures that birth their crafts, while at the same time also really committing to understand the experience of artisans. All of these perspectives are necessary in creating a craft industry that's sustainable, equitable, and most of all, empowering. So we'll hear more thoughts on this in this episode, where our guests who work with craft communities talk about how they take into account both the people and the resources in their value chains. Starting with Sili. Sili Martinez Miranda is the Chief Operating Officer of Ananas Anam Philippines, the company responsible for manufacturing the base materials for Pingatex, 
a sustainable alternative to leather made out of pineapple. She grew up in Cebu, exposed to the makers and crafters there, and although Celie did not have a background in textiles or industrial design, nor did she previously envision being where she is today, her roots and crafts drew her back to it. It's a long story how I ended up here. I studied education and international studies in college, and I ended up in Leyte after Typhoon Yolanda, um, working on a socialized housing project there. And as part of the project, I was asked to look at different agri-manufacturing opportunities based on what crops were being grown on the island. So I did an initial mapping. I learned about all the pineapple in Leyte. And as part of that process, I saw how after the fruit was harvested, so many of the leaves were either burned or plowed back into the ground. At the same time that was happening, I saw an article online about Pinitex. Um, they were talking about it as this innovative new material. There was a like a prototype with Puma where they had made this sneaker. I thought that was really exciting and I was interested in this idea that the waste from the agricultural sector could be used as the base raw material for something like textiles. Debbie, on the other hand, also grew up around craft. Her mom made clothes for her and her sister, and in school, they were the only ones who had hand-knitted socks. They made their own greeting cards, tie-dye tees, and embroidered their own pants. When she started making furniture for export, she dreamt of marrying craft and science through manufacturing. Now, doing this for 25 years, all her ideas come together in the Holistic Coalition of the Willing, or Holy Cow a sustainable furniture and housewares company based in Cebu City. Here, she tells the story of how she began. As early as in the 90s, 1990 was our first furniture uh, show that we joined, actually. My first suppliers for Abaca Fabric was in Aklan. I went there and I, I saw how they made, how they, they were weaving the abaca, weft and, and warp. And that was my first experience. Actually, I saw it and uh, I, I fell in love with it immediately. And I had to find a way of using it because there's got to be a way of using it as a fabric to my furniture or as a how uh, on my lap, so whatever. It took a while, you see, because um, the weaving industry in Auckland was also like they were doing it the way they knew how to do it. That's uh, The weavers had their own looms in their houses. You cannot imagine how difficult it was for me to introduce it to the world market because although they liked it, they liked the look, except that they just found it strange. They were very doubtful about its process. And I introduced abaca as an alternative for upholstery, for upholstery materials. At that time, though, there's no social media yet. So I took stills. I presented it to our buyers, and most of the buyers that took it up and were interested and were willing to put their money to buy it, the buyers from Europe mostly and South America, because they can identify with this craft. Some of them were just looking at them and saying, oh, this is like a some of our indigenous people in South America, for example, they found parallelism. So these are these are the, the cultural aspect of it. You know, it became the main highlight of this craft. And they identified with it because they were able to identify also similarities in the crafts where they come from. From Debbie's experience, craft brought people and cultures closer together. That made us think about the importance of human connections in craft and how we can preserve it and use it most especially as you bring craft into industry. And I think that's how craft can be integrated or can be used in industry. If there is such a connection, and there's got to be, it's the design 
the creativity that the designer, for example, must have the intention of wanting it to be integrated in assembly or in manufacturing. Otherwise, it's a lot easier to just import imported fabrics, actually. But if, if a company wants to use it, if the designer really intends to integrate it into the design, it can be done. Celie added some insight on this as well. Thinking about how do we integrate or how do we create products, right, with more integrity or more intention, I think part of that, part of what Tita Deb said made me think about the idea of like how important it is to have relationships with the people that you work with. Like you know that there's people on the other side of this process. You know that there's skill and expertise and all of this, all of this work that goes into the process of making, right? So then when you're creating something, then all of that knowledge kind of gets synthesized and drawn together to make this thing. You don't know who's making these things. You don't know why they're made. You know, or like, what is the base intention for why they even need to exist? Like, maybe they're just things. Um, so I think it's also a reaction to that, right? Because our world kind of tipped very far in the other direction where, where there's like this mass production of goods that no longer have the same kind of intentionality. You know, not, not everyone would really want to get their hands into this craft because maybe they want to have products that are made fast or, you know, the last for making profit fast, you know, and turn it around fast. There will be people who will do that. But I think it is up to us now, especially the people who are in touch with the craft, the people who are in the communities, the people who touch these natural materials in their natural state. It is up to us, okay, to tell them the stories behind this. We then asked them how we could encourage people to make more responsible collaborations when working especially with crafts. Here are their reflections. One of the topics that we talked about a lot at Making Futures was thinking about how craft can also abuse. We're talking about craft can abuse, and it's the context which mediates wealth, access, and power, I think, was the way that it was framed. So there's actually like a huge responsibility when you're in that place, right, to figure out, like, how do we do this in a way that's equitable? How do we do this in a way that's fair? It's a conversation that we're actively having to really think about how do you do this responsibly? And I think the first step is acknowledging the responsibility, right? And acknowledging the history and the context that you're creating. Because then if you work to be aware of that, then you can figure out, okay, then what is the best way to collaborate? You know, over the years, I've met quite a number of responsible industry players. Also, a number of irresponsible (laughs) Once. For me, the responsible industry players are those who really have the responsibility of everyone in the supply chain. Debbie went on to describe the philosophy that they follow at Holy Cow. It's anchored in the Cebuano word kalibutan, which means the world. For them, they are connected and accountable to every person who touches the work at every stage of the value chain. We believe that our suppliers are in our back, our buyers are in the front, and all the people who work with us, like our, our staff members, our, our workers, the workers of the suppliers that are, are giving us all these materials are all on our side. They are our, they, we hold on to them, you know, and, and while we w- walk forward, we need them to be on our side. And, and if they fall, we will be stopped. Because then they will fall and we're holding each other, supposedly. Then we will have to be stopped too. So they need to walk 
as fast or as slow as we are walking as well, just like the people behind us and the, and the people in front of us. So that person, that responsible industry player, must think of the craft maker who's doing these things. And what about the farmer that is planting this? So all of this will go from one person to another, right? The more I get involved in communities, the more I see a lot of young, educated professionals who have the conscience, the character, and the responsibility of moving things forward. And I appreciate this. And you cannot imagine how, you know, I would like to hold their hand and say, come on, let's walk together. It's important. With this consciousness of Kalibutan and the need to be responsible industry players, we also ask Seely and Debbie how craft can merge with industry and how much of a commercial endeavor should be made of it. More on that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Crafting Futures, a British Council global program that envisions a sustainable future through craft, collaboration, and educational opportunities. It is also supported by the Design Center of the Philippines, the country's national agency for design. The British Council builds connections between the UK and other countries through arts, culture, and education. Find out more about how they shape the future of crafts and design at britishcouncil.ph and designcenter.ph. Often, when we think of industry, we think of homogenous, large-scale mass production that seems to be at odds with the slowness and imperfection inherent in craft. And although industrialization can help artisans put food on the table, it can also dilute the culture that their craft stems from. In our conversation with Celia and Debbie, as in our Crafting Futures research, we found that a balance needs to be struck to be able to move forward in a way that is sustainable and fair. And now, back to our conversation with Celie and Debbie. We see that there really needs to be a reciprocity, right, between the materials, the people using those materials, and kind of the processes that we put in place. Because, again, we're working with people and we're working with natural materials in both of these cases for Ananasanaman, what Tita Debbie is doing. You can't just, like, there's there's a knowledge and there's a skill involved in how you work with these materials. So I think it's like on one level, it is applying science. And then on another level, it's also like honoring the material and honoring the people, right? Because it's like you try to manipulate it all these ways that you want, but then you're going to destroy the material that goes in. And then, yeah, it's also respecting the knowledge of the people who really know how to work with this material, right? Because it's like not everybody has that level of skill. But one of the things I was thinking too, when we were talking about like how far can you push craft into the assembly line it's also, I think, the, f- the first layer is thinking about what is the purpose of this craft, right? So it's like not all crafts are the same, right? Some crafts are cultural products. Other crafts are really, they're a way of doing things, but then we're embedding them now into a more modern process, right? So incorporating them into things that we use, like furniture, for us it's textiles. But drawing on this more um like a cultural base set of knowledge or a cultural base set of materials um, and then applying it to a different different type of process. So for Sealy, the materials, technology, and innovation behind their craft is just as important as honoring the culture, history, and tradition behind it. We also recognize that piña fiber has been used in the Philippines 
for the longest time since the Spanish colonial period and the process of extracting it and weaving with it that's actually very ingrained with the culture that we have. So that means that when we work with pineapple leaf fiber, we have to be very sensitive to, to those considerations. Then we differentiate in terms of what is the type of pineapple fiber we use. So we only work with waste. So traditionally, if you're looking at piña that's woven for barongs or for piña textiles, like in Aklan, they're using the red Spanish variety, which is grown specifically for fiber production. The difference we make is then we say, okay, we're not going to touch that, right? Because that is used for weaving and it's used specifically for this purpose that is culturally relevant and important to the Philippines. We have to then look at what are alternatives to that that we can use. So that's why we're using pineapple that's grown per, like primarily for fruit production and which is either burned or just tilled back into the soil after the fruit is harvested. So it's, it's that too. It's making the distinction based on the purpose. We have to think about the material and the people. It's like also the history of those materials, the history of people, and then make that a consideration as we do things. Seely noted that because of all the changes that have been happening in the Philippines and globally, many makers and entrepreneurs have been forced to think about what is truly sustainable as a company and as a brand. Us as a group of people working together, what are the values actually that we want to have at the forefront as we say that we're, we're doing this work? right? Because I, I think it's really forced us to think about that, like why, what is the purpose behind what we're doing and how do we make sure that the things that we do are then aligned with that core purpose. It's kind of like we have so many natural indigenous materials, um, but we don't always know the best way to work with them. So it's, it's also that. It's like these resources are so valuable and so important. And part of what we have to do is also bridge, like what Tita Deb said, the science and the, the science and the making. Right? Because it's like we need that layer of science to tell us what is possible with these materials. And then to also be able to work, like, I guess, across industries, right? To be able to say, like, okay, like now that we know how to work with this material, then we're teaching the design community how to work with this material. And then they can add another layer of knowledge. So I think, it, I think it's, it's also that. We also wanted, like, we can't really have a conversation about anything without talking about the current context that we're in so like even if us we understand the value of these products right and we we're we're totally in it like we we uh, we're totally willing to invest in the making and even the purchasing of these like really beautiful storied human products but how do we get other people especially now, in a time of scarcity, how do we get other people to appreciate craft? Like, how do we, how, how have you gotten other people to stay interested? Or maybe even get new people interested into it? <laughs> Was it a difficult question? <laughs> wow. I'm even beginning to question God. Why do we? Why do I have to make my life so difficult? <laughs> you know. So I just believe that whatever happens in our life, there is always a reason for it, and always a lesson to be learned. And uh, while we need to do something about it, more often it's because our hands are tied that we need to reinvent what we are going to do after this. 
But let me just say that I think this gives us a chance to find a, a blank page and begin. Begin again. But have this, the wisdom, the experience, and the wealth of knowledge that we have, how to put it together so that maybe we will be able to begin a new page that is not exactly how it was done before because what we did before obviously didn't work as well. Well, I think when I am able to go to my communities, which I can't yet, I don't know when, it is important for me to know if they still are there. How are they? How are they doing? And I think more than anything else, if there is extra resource that we have, we need to help them first before they will even begin to like become economically viable again. It will be difficult because there's not much to go around or even nothing to go around. We need everybody's help. So maybe we don't have to make the profit. We can forgo profit. And then maybe when they can begin to make heads and tails of where they are and how they're going to begin their life all over again, that's when we begin to write that page. Siri. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know, there's so many things. I think, but um, what the crisis did for us, what it, ki- it kind of highlighted everything that we had to question, you know, like everything, just everything, you know, and really think about what is our purpose for being here? What are we doing? And are the things that we're doing aligned with that core purpose? Right. Because then it's like, again, like, are you feeding into this broken system or are you saying like there has to be another way and trusting that you'll figure it out as you go along? You know, and I think that's one of the biggest things like of this moment. It's like no one has the answers. Right. No one knows exactly like how we fix these massive problems. But that's why it's so important to be in community with different people, because these are the people that teach you, that hold you accountable, um, and that show you, right, like, why is it important for you to do this the right way or to think about it the right way. Headquartered in the UK, Ananas Anam opened in the Philippines only in September 2018. And so it's been very new for Sili, figuring out how to do things as a Philippine company working within a larger global system. Challenged with an environmental crisis, an economic crisis, and the COVID crisis altogether. Nonetheless, she spoke insightfully about how industry players, new and old, could consider thinking about the future of craft and the challenges that lie ahead. This time has been really hard, but I think it's also been the biggest opportunity to finally say, hey, like we have to think about this. You know, and we have to think about this at all levels of our company. And we have to have these conversations because then it doesn't, like, we won't be able to move forward um, if we don't address these things first. Because then a lot of the foundations for how we make decisions and how we, how we go forward from this moment, we need to really figure out if those assumptions or those things that we've, that we've done in the past are things that we want to bring forward. So again, it's really this process of trying to like unlearn, you know, like unlearn, relearn, identify like what are the things, what are the things that we've assumed or what are the things that we've never talked about? And I think it's, this is like the very human part, you know, which is like all of us as people, we're all invested and all trying to do something. And 
first it like requires us identifying ourselves where where do i hold power where do i have privilege where am i standing and how do the decisions i make from this place without questioning it like affect other people who maybe don't have the same power or privilege to talk about their experience you know i also think that um what came out of this pandemic is a collective consciousness of of as what you said like what is essential um does that give you hope um or what gives you hope in that sense uh, right now and what is the hope that you see in relation to uh, what you're doing and and craft jeez uh, <laughs> for me I don't think I will ever run out of hope or craft this concern because I truly love it. It's, it's been part of my life for many, many years. So I could, how could I not love it? Even in the backdrop of the pandemic, I'm, I'm in that point now where uh, I don't really understand what, what I'm going to do next. I don't know. Right. But I have hope because I have to have hope. You know what I mean? There are, there are people depending on us. And, you know, um, these people depend on us and they, they need that hope too. And this is not the time to be, not to be strong of heart. So there is hope. And I believe hope will come from crafts actually, because people now cannot manufacture fast. It'll be difficult. And globally, economically, people do not have much money now. They've spent it on medical expenses or they are afraid to invest. So what do they do? You go back. You go back to nature. You go back to look around you. You go back to family. You see, so when that happens, then it's craft. It's people going back to their homes and spending more time with their families. That is what is beautiful and what is hopeful about this pandemic. Celie, <laughs> 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 what about you? <laughs> yeah, I think again, it everything everybody said, right? It's just com- going back to like the fundamentals. Yeah, it's it's both like hope and faith and like hope in people, you know, because again, it's like ultimately like change is going to happen if somebody decides to do something about something, about anything. Right. And then that's where, again, we get back to this idea of like, why, what is the importance of making, you know, and like at its very, very most basic form, it's basically like making is like you start with an idea and then you work to make it a reality, you know, and you can do that in terms of making a physical thing, of making a system, of making a choice. How do you help people really think about um realizing that your individual choices matter and your individual choices merge with other people's choices to create the reality that we're living in. You know, so really showing people that the power of an individual choice, an individual decision, really has ripple effects in the way that we're living. Your voice does matter. Maybe it doesn't feel like it does in this larger context that we're living in, but it does. You know, and that also means that everybody has this individual power to try and do something and 
also then the question of like, what are we going to use that power for? You know, like, what, how, how are we going to decide the act? Are we going to decide to then be hopeful about the country and then make decisions to then support people who we believe are reflecting these values? Does it mean that we're just going to be more thoughtful about the decisions we're making? But again, it's like we can't, we can't predict any of that. We can just hope, right? We can just have faith. And hopefully it's like that faith is both in, you know, whatever gives you hope personally, but then in the people that you're working that you're working with and you're connecting with every single day. Because it's really that too, that it goes back to the fundamental like human relationships and how we treat each other. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd like to explore this conversation deeper with us, we're inviting you to join our online forum and sharing session on crafting futures together, the value of research and collaboration in sustainable hand weaving. That's happening on August 8th from 4 to 6 p.m. Philippine time. Sign up for free via the link on our episode description. There you can also find the link to access our crafting futures research and show notes for this episode. We'd love to know your thoughts on making craft sustainable, equitable, and empowering for the artisans who sustain our rich cultural traditions. Tell us your thoughts via Instagram at Mooney underscore PH and invite other people into this conversation by sharing your highlights with them. This episode was brought to you by Crafting Futures, a British Council global program that envisions a sustainable future through craft, collaboration, and educational opportunities. It was produced by Mooney, hosted and written by Car Abola, Kylie Misa, and Jen Horn, edited by podwiz.com.au, with music by Diego Mapa, and branding by Sirius Studio.